Welcome to the Alliance Party After Dark, a podcast for the politically aware brought to you by the Alliance Party. Content for this episode was recorded on Sunday, November 22, 2020. And a good evening to you. I'm Dan Schaefer, producer of the podcast. Well, once again, I came up short on getting guests for this week's podcast. I've been attempting to get some of the senior members of the party to chat, but, well, this week they've been really, really busy. Now that the election season is winding down, big plans are being made within the Alliance Party, and all the senior party members are in constant meetings. Now, to be sure, there's lots of news coming out of these meetings, but at this point, the people in the know are keeping it a secret until all decisions are final and the plans are put into motion. But that's not to say that there isn't any news coming out of the Alliance Party this week. On the contrary, there's lots of news regarding this year's elections. First, let's focus on the presidential race. While all of America held their breath waiting for the final results, very few realized that the Alliance Party actually ran a candidate at the top of the ticket. Rocky De La Fuente was on the ballot in 15 states. Alaska, Arkansas, California, Colorado, Florida, Iowa, Idaho, Maine, Michigan, Minnesota, New Jersey, Rhode Island, South Carolina, Tennessee, and Vermont. If your state wasn't mentioned, eh, don't worry, we'll get to it next time. The overall vote count in these states was 62,765. Now, considering how polarized this election was, I think it's amazing that we were able to get that many votes at the top of the ticket. We had a number of state candidates as well, in South Carolina, Minnesota, and Washington. Sarah Work, who ran for state senator in District 14, pulled in nearly 16% of the vote. This is quite an accomplishment considering that she ran against one of the most well-entrenched incumbents in the state. Sarah received 7,928 votes. Elsewhere in South Carolina, Brad Jane, who ran for the state house in District 114, pulled in 705 votes, or about 2.86%. Jackie Todd, who ran for the South Carolina State House District 8, pulled in 3,724 votes, or nearly 19%. Michael Childs, running for the South Carolina State House 68, got 3,007 votes, or nearly 15%. And rounding out South Carolina was Johnny Walker, running for the State House number 49. He received 164 votes, or about 0.93%. In Minnesota, Guy Sanjagrin, running for mayor of Shorewood, received 1,691 votes, which was nearly 35%. In the state of Washington, Larry Stanley ran for the State House, District 8, Position 2. The state of Washington implements a type of multi-winner district structure, so therefore the phrase Position 2. Larry managed to get 15,084 votes, or just north of 20%. The total statewide votes cast in the three states I just mentioned is 31,853. That's not too bad. This not only means that the Alliance Party received a lot of exposure during the past election, but if you total the votes for the state and the presidency, over 94,000 votes were cast for people within the Alliance Party. I do have one caveat, however. Rocky De La Fuente's vice president was, in most states, Darcy Richardson, 
But in California, which cast over 41,000 votes for Rocky, Darcy was not on the ticket. Rather, it was Kanye West. Rocky teamed up with Mr. West and ran within the American Independent Party. Mr. West's candidacy no doubt raised some awareness in California, and it most certainly assisted Rocky's prospects in that state. So, what do all these numbers mean? Well, here's the thing. The Alliance Party finished fifth overall nationwide in a field of 36 political parties competing at all levels. What this says is that the Alliance Party's message resonates with lots of folks out there. And, better yet, the Alliance Party received a lot of media exposure. In less than two years, a fraction of the time required, for example, of the Green and Libertarian parties to reach the same levels of national visibility, the Alliance Party has established itself as a viable political force. History will show that the election of 2020 was the arrival of the beginning of a political transformation in American politics. To that end, an interesting development came out of this election. The Alliance Party is now listed as a key player in sites such as Wikipedia, where it had no listings before. Another result of the participation in this election cycle is that the party added two ballot-qualified state affiliates in Mississippi and Delaware. Delaware's affiliation comes via a merger with the American Delta Party in that state. The party gained many supporters and are now also organizing in Rhode Island, Arkansas, Indiana, and North Carolina. Further, the party is in dialogue with other parties regarding potential future mergers and new volunteers who are developing new alliance state affiliates. Looking forward to the next midterm election, the Alliance Party is already lining up candidates who will be seeking their state nominations. If anyone listening to this podcast wants to run for office in the next election cycle, please check out the website at theallianceparty.com. Follow the Get Involved menu item and select Run for Office. Seriously, check it out. Submitting your name won't automatically qualify you, nor does it obligate you in any way, but it will put you in touch with Tim Cotton, the Alliance Party's political director, and he will walk you through the paces to secure your candidacy and, quite possibly, to secure your elected office. So whether you plan to run for the local dog catcher or school supervisor or county council or city council or mayor, state legislature, auditor, lieutenant governor, governor, U.S. Congress, president, or whatever else comes to mind, the Alliance Party would love to have a conversation with you and help in any way possible. Whether you decide to run for office or help out in any other way you can, understand that the Alliance Party refuses to be a so-called one-and-done party or an every-four-years party. Collectively speaking, the Alliance Party feels that the movement toward a better political system, or shall I say a more perfect union, is far too significant to just beat the drums before every election, or to not beat the drums at all anymore. On the contrary, Good governance is a year-round concern. If you hesitate to get involved with the Alliance Party, please consider this. We're seeing how miserable the current duopoly is handling things, the most recent presidential election being a good case in point. People voted for Joe Biden not so much for what he and the Democratic Party stand for, but more out of a passionate belief that Donald Trump was bad for this country. This helps explain how Biden can win the top of the ticket, but 
Republicans in general did much better down the ballot. It's reasonable to conclude that many people split their ballot. But at the top of the ticket, it wasn't a choice for something better. Rather, it was a choice to avoid something worse. And this is what the duopoly has foisted upon this nation. A choice of who to vote against, not who to vote for. So the Alliance Party is currently reviewing lessons learned and in, in all the implications of its results in this year's elections. 2021 will be dedicated to building a grassroots state affiliate system whereby the party will have its foundation in local districts. Developing a support system for all our leaders will be an integral piece of this effort. It will stay alive throughout the non-election years so that when it comes time to cast your ballot, you feel as though you actually have a choice for something better rather than having a choice against something worse. We'll be back after a short break. The two-party system that we've got is broken. The choices are awful. All we see is lies, cheating, deceit. You could say it about both parties. Neither one really stands for anything except acquiring and exercising power. The idea was to give the power to the people or the people who've given the power away. And that's where the system broke. Government and our political system was designed to be malleable. You know, not rigid, not ossified, not always gridlocked. Absolute power does corrupt, absolutely. And that's why the founders set the system up to avoid having concentrated power in the executive and in the national branch. The founding documents are the best, it's the best government so far that we've come up with. Um, we're just not doing it. You know, it's tribalism, basically. If, if you're not on my tribe, then you're a bad person. You could say the sky is blue, and I'm going to say, no, it's green. I think it's right out of a 1930s era playbook where if you can divide people, make them feel like something's being taken from them, probably pays well for them to make sure that everybody's divided because, in essence, it keeps them in office, it keeps them in power, it keeps them employed. The amount of money that's involved in politics, it is crazy. And Obama's a smart guy, but not even he could, uh, he wasn't going to do it either. And I was like, okay, that's it. If he can't do it, it's not going to happen because uh, that's when I knew that the, uh, the lobbyists and the corporate interests, uh, the outside private interests that really have a hand in making sure that our political system doesn't work, uh, I knew that they had won. And I said, okay, third party is the way to go. What I think we're trying to do here is, is to make systemic change. Yeah, we need the right people, but there's not any one person, any one charismatic personality that's going to bring about the change that we so desperately need in this country. Our biggest goals are election reform, knock down those barriers that have been built in the ballot access game by the state governments, fixing the dark money, getting good health care out there. We need more women, we need more minorities, we need more occupations and backgrounds. We don't have set paradigms and beliefs. We just want to solve problems. So we're open books. We're data sensitive. We want data. And we want to solve solutions that help the most people. Let's forget about where we disagree. Let's start with where do we agree? Let facts be facts and let truth be truth and afford people the opportunity to go and find the information they need. We require term limits of all of our candidates. Now, if you have more choices and competition, uh, just like any free market enterprise, competition is going to give you a better product. Focus on innovation and really learning on a local level. Free press and educating people in an unbiased way. Protecting and, and controlling the deficit. Respect and courtesy. Honesty through transparency. Openness and transparency. Transparency. I think that's incredibly important uh, in a number of areas, but especially in finances, so that voters can connect the dots 
We want to leave this place in a better condition than we left it for the next generations, pure and simple. Not just my children, all our American kids. We need to educate every single individual in this country. So every individual has tools they need to succeed in life. Ultimately, that's what we're doing this for, what we can help the American people be, not what we say they can be, but what they want to be, and we'll get our party to that point. We're supposed to help each other rise up, enlighten each other, and start by being civil and respecting other people's opinions. There's nobody left. We have to do it. There's right and there's wrong. <laughs> nobody owns it. You know, JFK, I believe, was quoted as saying something to the effect of, we don't need to look for the Republican answer or the Democratic answer. We need to look for the correct answer. And that's the types of conversations we're not having. As a people, are we doing what we should be doing? Welcome back. You know, ever since I started producing this podcast, I've been doing a lot of reading. This is a necessary part of doing the podcast. It's part of the background I do before interviewing guests. And frankly, it's my way to help ensure that I ask good questions when doing the interviews. One of the most influential books I read this year was co-written by one of our guests, Catherine Gale. I felt very fortunate that she spent time with us on this podcast because I'm such a big fan of her book. The book is called The Politics Industry, How Political Innovation Can Break Partisan Gridlock and Save Our Democracy. Catherine co-wrote this book with Michael Porter, a professor of business administration at the Harvard Business School. I highly recommend you get a copy. Uh, it presents a good argument that the duopoly, that is the Republicans and Democrats, are really private industries that have been tweaked over the years to maximize profits and minimize costs. In this case, the profit is money, power, and security, and the cost is the voters. You see the picture that emerges here? Voter suppression, the electoral system, dark money, it's all part of a business plan that's designed to minimize you and me, the voters. The book goes on to propose some creative solutions that will, we hope, break the duopoly and lead us toward a more democratic nation. The book ends on a note of hope because it cites numerous examples of progress toward the proposed solutions taking place. And the examples continue to accumulate to this day. For example, Alaska's recent ballot initiative, Measure 2, which passed, establishes ranked choice voting for general elections. It also replaces partisan primaries with open top four primaries. Now, this is, this is huge. This is exactly what Gale and Porter proposed in their book. But I'd like to make another observation about this book. They made mention of a Wisconsin senator, Robert LaFollette. Mr. LaFollette was best known for being a U.S. senator from 1906 to 1925, but prior to that time, he was a U.S. representative as well as governor of Wisconsin. He was also a district attorney. He was commonly known as Fighting Bob. So, what's so special about Fighting Bob? Well, in a word, he was a progressive. Yes, a progressive. Now, that word is used as a sort of cudgel these days, but 
Back in the time that La Follette was gaining notoriety, it had become a sort of a rallying cry. Now keep in mind that his formative years were spent in the so-called Gilded Age of the latter half of the 19th century. It was a time of unprecedented growth in industry and technology. Indeed, it was an interesting time to be alive because of all the exciting technologies and industries that were coming online. But there was a dark side to all this progress. It was a period of greed and corruption among industrialists. Bankers and politicians enjoyed enormous wealth and shameless opulence, all at the expense of the working class. And to be sure, it was the wealthy men of the day, not the politicians, who held ultimate political power during this time period. Hmm, does this sound familiar? Perhaps. So, let me read you one of Fighting Bob's speeches that he gave in 1924, nearly a hundred years ago. If you look on YouTube, you can actually find a scratchy recording of a version of the speech, but I'd rather read it to you here so that you can focus on the content of the speech rather than struggling to get through the acoustics of this nearly 100-year-old recording. So here it goes. America is not made. It's in the making. It has today to meet an impending crisis as menacing as any in the nation's history. It does not sound a call to arms, but it is nonetheless a call to patriotism and to higher ideals and citizenship a call for the preservation of the representative character of government itself. If we would preserve the spirit as well as the form of our free institutions, the patriotic citizenship of the country must take its stand and demand of wealth that it conduct its business lawfully, that it shall no longer furnish the most flagrant examples of persistent violation of statutes while invoking the protection of the courts that it shall not destroy the equality of opportunity nor the right to the pursuit of happiness guaranteed by the Constitution, that it shall keep its powerful hands off from legislative manipulation, that it shall not corrupt but obey the government that guards and protects its rights. It is a glorious service, the service for the country. Mere passive citizenship is not enough. Men must be aggressive for what is right if government is to be saved from those who are aggressive for what is wrong. The nation has awakened somewhat slowly to the realization of its peril, but it has responded with gathering momentum. The progressive movement now has the support of all the moral forces that the solution of a great problem can command. The outlook is hopeful. There is no room for pessimism. Mere passive citizenship is not enough. Every man should have faith. Advanced ground has been secured which will never be surrendered by the American people. There is work for everyone. The field is large. It is a glorious service, the service for the country. The call comes to every citizen. It is an unending struggle to make and keep government representative. Each one should pocket a patriotic duty to build at least a part of his life into the life of his country, to do his share in the making of America according to the plan of the fathers. Wow, that's a powerful speech. And so here's an interesting thing. Robert, fighting Bob La Follette, was a Republican. 
This was back in the days that the Republicans actually supported organized labor, women's suffrage, racial equality, and other progressive causes. So that's food for thought on this Sunday, November 22, 2020. Please have a happy Thanksgiving holiday and be sure to give your love to your friends and relatives, not COVID. It's a season for gratitude, not remorse. And thank you for tuning in to the Alliance Party After Dark podcast. Please consider subscribing to this podcast so that you don't miss any episodes. Each week we'll bring you interesting topics from the Alliance Party. You may subscribe on iTunes, Google, or Spotify. Also, keep in mind that the podcast has a Twitter page at Alliance On Air. And if you have any suggestions for future topics or people we might interview in a future podcast, please drop us an email at podcast at thealliance All content for this podcast is copyright the Alliance Party. Views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of the Alliance Party. This podcast is a production of the Alliance Party, a decades-long movement of fiscally conservative, moderate, accountable, and reasoned independents, former Democrats, former Republicans, and alienated voters who demand that our elected officials work in the spirit of nonpartisanship for all constituents and provide a better future for our country. This podcast was made possible by your donations to the Alliance Party. If you'd like to join the Alliance Party, visit the website at theallianceparty.com. Drop in, see what we're all about, and get involved. Volunteer your time, make a donation, submit an article or blog, or run for office. We'd love to hear from you. I'm Dan Schaefer, producer of the Alliance Party After Dark, and on behalf of everyone at the Alliance Party, have a wonderful evening, a great week ahead, and we hope you drop in for our next show. Be safe, be aware, and please take care of yourself and those around you.